The title of this sermon is Man and Woman in Christ. It is part three. So here's where we're going to start. I don't know if this is a true story or not. I read it in somebody's book. Um, The person happens to be a, a neuroscientist who likes to study male brain and female brain. And she's illustrating the differences between males and females. Females, as you might know, are way better than males at social cognition, at being able to read facial expressions and body language, at being able to interpret what's really going on inside of that person, almost like they can read their minds. You ladies are almost like you can read minds, which is scary. And, uh, and also very good at storing it and also very good at bringing it back out again. It's amazing what, what a woman will remember about an emotionally charged social situation from 65 years ago and be able to replay it in vivid detail and it's accurate. Men can't do that. Women are way better in social cognition. Here's a story of how that works out. So there's a mommy with two kids, twins, a boy and a girl. They're out in the, out in the playground playing And the boy decides, uh, the girl rather decides, she looks up those tall steps on the sliding board and says, I'm going to go up there. Other boys and girls are going up there. I'm going to go up there. So she gets up to the top and it's kind of scary up there and she's not quite sure of herself. So being a girl, what she does is she just darts a very quick glance over at mommy's face. Mommy's not even particularly looking at her, but she can read on mommy's face. There's no cause for concern. Otherwise, mommy would be going, you know, everything's well. She reads mommy's face, knows immediately it's okay, down the slide she goes. Her brother goes up the steps. Now, this is a bit of a possible oversimplification of things, but chances are he gets to the top of the steps, isn't the least bit of concern, dives down the sliding board head first, crashes into rocks at the bottom, rubs some dirt on it, says that's all better, I'm good. But if he had any concerns at the top, he would never even think to look at his mother, and if he did happen to glance at her, he would not even realize that she has a face. So the girl can read unintentional nuances of meaning in mom's face, and the boy doesn't even know she has a face. And that's pretty real. That's pretty real. Here are some other social distances, social differences indicated between men and women. So... um, Women are way better at social cognition until they're pregnant. And then it really changes. When a woman is with child, there are massive chemical marinating changes going on in her brain, and there are significant structural changes in her brain, i.e. reduction in the amount of gray matter so that she may have what is sometimes called baby brain, prego brain, or um, what's, the, what's the funny one? Um, momnesia. I like that one. She might have momnesia. But the thing is, where she has been so in tuned to find nuances of meaning read in somebody's face, everybody else in the world but that baby, everybody else kind of gets grayed out now because she's going to need all the energy, all the resources, all the focus, all the laser-like you know, understanding of what the nuances mean. She's going to need all that for that baby. And it all gets focused in on that baby, like her focus in life because of chemicals, oxytocin and prolactin that create bonding, bonding, bonding. The guy gets a little sympathy dose of that. It's little. 
But she is bonding, bonding, bonding to that baby, even from the time it's in the womb. And then when the baby's born, and especially if she breastfeeds, that really augments the oxytocin and the prolactin wash going on in her brain. And it stays that way for two years. It has to, because that baby is so helpless. Somebody has got to hover over it, care for it, focus on it. And the woman is prepared to be able to do that by what's happening in her brain. Furthermore, she needs those chemicals. Furthermore, she needs the structural changes because Taking care of that baby is such a life-dominating thing. I mean, do you know that the average mother loses 80 hours of sleep in the first year of motherhood? 80 hours. I mean, you can, you can be hallucinating with 80 hours of sleep, um, but it happens. And to get her through the rigors of the demands of that little helpless infant, things change in her brain, chemicals change, structure changes, so on and so forth. So that, I'm I'm saying this because we're building up to some Bible verses and I want you to have some background for them so they make sense, so they fit. For most women, in most of time, and it's estimated that, depending on how old you think the earth is, there may have been 50 billion women on the planet to this point. For most women, in most of time, pre-modern medicine, pre-modern birth control, which didn't really get good until the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s with the pill, pre-modern, all kinds of medical things, pre-modern conveniences. Do you understand how wonderful it is to have a washing machine? Do you know what women had to do to do the wash twice a week in the past? Read about it sometime. Uh, Do you know how wonderful it is to have a refrigerator? How wonderful it is to have electricity? How wonderful it is to have indoor plumbing, for goodness sake, and a hot water heater, and you can take a hot shower, and you can take the kids in the hot shower. I mean, life has dramatically changed, and especially for women, and it's good. I'm not complaining. I'm I'm very thankful for, for the changes, and they free women up in a lot of ways for other things in life. But for most women in most of time, They got married when they were maybe 16 or 18, had a baby within a year, and two years later had another baby, and two years later another baby, and two years later another baby, and hopefully they lived through, you know, a lot of women died in childbirth in those days. It was was not uncommon for women of any means to update their will when they become pregnant again, because there's a very real possibility they won't make it. But it's baby, baby brain, baby, baby brain, baby, baby brain, baby, baby brain. That was life, and If you made it past your 20s, you would live to be maybe 50. That was like a good average for a whole lot of time. So you spent your entire adult life having and tending to and intensely focusing on babies. And it's not that this was, forgive me, ladies, if you don't agree, hear me, please. It's not that this was the dominant oppressive patriarchy. It was just the harsh realities and necessities of life on the planet so like, it's too easy now for us to sit in our, in our time and with all the modern conveniences and all the modern medicine and all the helps we have and look back and say, wow, it was really rough for women. Why did men do that to them? There's another way you might look at that. It might not be, there probably were some men who were horrific. There still are. But it, it wasn't maybe generally that. It was more likely this is what men and women had to go through just to stay alive. So all that to say, some of what we're going to see from the book of Genesis in a few minutes makes sense. 
It makes sense. But before we get there, hang in there with me and let me give you a little bit more by way of introduction. These are two sneak peeks. I'm just squeezing them in here. They don't really fit here, but you wouldn't have known that if I hadn't told you. Two sneak peeks into distinctively male characteristics as found in the Bible. Sneak peeks, not a deep dive. We're just snorkeling up top right now, but let's have a look at maleness or masculinity as it just peeks out at us from two different passages in the Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. Here's the one in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thirsty. When David's time, King David of Israel, the king, King David. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, who would become King Solomon, the King Solomon. He commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I love this phrase, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I kind of want to, I envision someday, maybe I get to gather our sons and their wives and our grandkids around me and I say, hey, everybody, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That's a great line. But then he has these words for Solomon. Be strong and show yourself a man. Now, what he meant by that specifically was, and if we read farther in the passage, you would see what he meant is, look, I've got some unfinished business. I've been king. There's two guys need to be dealt with. One of them committed murder. He killed one of our soldiers in a time of peace. That's murder. And the other one was a tyrant who opposed me as king, and he he committed treason, and we never got to deal with these two guys. And Solomon, I want you to deal with them. As you become king, you you need to bump off a couple enemies of the king, of the king. So that's specifically what's, what's coming there. But that's not what I'm after. I'm not trying to say, so the trait of masculinity is you bump off your father's enemies. That's, that's not the point. Here's the thing I want you to notice. King David was able to say to his son Solomon, I want you, I want you to show yourself a man. And that meant something. It meant something Unlike showing yourself a woman, there are differences. That's all I'm trying to say here. When you read this verse, you realize that in their worldview, and in almost everyone's worldview who has ever been on the planet, there are differences. There's a whole lot of same. We've been seeing that equal in this, equal in this, equal in this, equal in this. But there are some very distinct differences, and they show up in Scripture. They show up in God's Word, and we can identify what it means to be like a man. What are the characteristics? We can identify them. There is one in the verse, be strong. Now, we know that men are physically generally stronger. That's due to mainly testosterone in the uterus and testosterone down through life. Do you realize, I'm off track, do you realize what a difference there is in the levels of testosterone between men and women? So a healthy young male, the scale is, if you're very low, you're at about 300. They measure it, how much is in your blood, you're at 300. If, if you're very high, you're at 1,200. That's, that guy lifts weights and his body responds, man. And the average guy might be six, 700. The average woman, a healthy woman of that young age, her level is 35. 
If she's really high, it's 60. That's a very high level of testosterone for a woman. So a woman has 60 and a, and a robust young guy has 1,200. There is a massive difference in that that produces difference in character and temperament and personality and perspectives and all kinds of things. And they didn't know about testosterone in their world, but they knew there's something about men that we can identify, and it is that they have greater physical bodily strength, but maybe also greater strength in time of danger, greater strength to face the danger, greater strength to come, overcome the feelings of, I got to bump off my father's enemies. I'm not going to ask my daughter to do that. You're going to ask a son. So it's interesting. Here's the New Testament counterpart to that. This is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, and he says, be watchful. And this is to women, by the way. He's saying this to you girls, just as well as he's saying it to, to we guys. Be watchful. All right, that's like the watchman on the wall. Watch him for the bad guys. Incidentally, women have way superior social cognition, except for when it comes to a dangerous male. And men are better at seeing that. Oh, there's some bad guys. Men are better at seeing that. So this is masculine. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. And the idea of being able to physically stand firm because of greater musculature means that's a masculine thing. Standing firm is viewed as a masculine thing. And then act like men. Now, I, I'm tickled with this. He says to the ladies, I'm looking at my wife, act like, act like a man, Debbie. Just not too much. Act like men. And he says to all the men of the church, act like men. I have a typo here. It's actually andridzomai. Andridzomai. The New King James translates it, be brave, which is a fair translation, but it's actually the Greek word for man with the eyes ending on it. It's man eyes. Paul is saying, all right, church, man up. You ladies, man up. You men, man up in the faith. I want you to be strong in Jesus Christ. But here's the point. Here's the thing I want you to note. Paul doesn't hesitate to call that manning up. And everybody knew what he meant by that because everybody knew and should still know there are certain characteristics of masculinity and there are certain characteristics of femininity and there's a lot of overlap in the middle where you can't tell much difference. But there are things we can identify that are manly and there are things we can identify that are feminine. Doesn't mean anybody's better than anybody else. Let me give you a quote about that. This is from James Montgomery Boyce. God rest his awesome soul. He was pastor of 10th Press in Philadelphia for many, many years to his untimely and young death. But he wrote this one time. I love this. Men are not superior to women. Amen? Amen? It's not like we're talking superior here or inferior. Men are not superior to women, but dig this. But men are absolutely supposed to be superior to women at being men. I really like that. You can put that up on the wall. Here's another one, and I don't know who the author of this is. I found it somewhere, I think, this week. Stuck it in my manuscript. Didn't write down a name, so forgive me, but here's, here's the next one. The biblical view is that God's intent for every male is to grow into masculinity. That's God's intent. We're sticking with that. 
and for every female to grow into femininity. And this means we can identify what are characteristics then of masculinity, what are characteristics of femininity. And we as parents and grandparents want to help see our children and grandchildren grow into those appropriate characteristics. And again, there's overlap. There's overlap. We recognize that. All right, so we began by noting that there are many ways men and women are the same. We said men and women equally reflect the image of God. Men and women are equally responsible for the mission. Men and women are equally fallen. Men and women are equally redeemed. So there's equal, 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 equal. On Friday, my wife was out of town visiting family down in Virginia. I went up Friday to have lunch with my parents in Westminster. We actually went beyond that up to Littlestown, PA, and we had lunch. And they, they always give me their sermon critiques because they listen to them every week. And uh, dad said, um, you've been talking about men and women, yeah? He said, you've been saying equal, 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 equal. Don't you think men and women are different? And I told him, next sermon, dad. We're getting there. I've been giving hints of it. He missed the hints, but we're getting there. So men and women are equal, equally reflecting the image of God, equally responsible for the mission, equally fallen, equally redeemed, same cross, same blood of Christ, same salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But now there are some differences, and we began last week with one of them. We saw men and women are different in the reasons for their fall. And now, thank you for your patience, we come to some brand new material. Actually, most of the intro was brand new. And we're going to see, fascinating to me to see, that men and women are different in the results of their fall. So, let me set the stage a little bit. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. It is foundational for all of human history. It is foundational for everything else to come in the Bible. I mean, Adam and Eve have just been created. They've just fallen. They took the fruit and they ate. And they've both fallen. And now we're going to see God speaking to them and saying, okay, all right, guys, here's what happens next. I told you not to eat. I told you that in the day you eat, you will surely die. Now you have eaten. So let me tell you what this is going to look like for you. And he has words for the woman, for women. She stands for them all. And he has words for the man, for men. He stands for them all. And they're different words. They're very gender differentiated, like in a way that might not be popular in some places today, like in a way that might be read like this in some places today. Oh, that was written by a white man. They're just establishing the male patriarchy, the oppression. All right? So we have that going on in our world. By the way, say it. Lovingly, say it softly, if you buy that narrative, the oppression, patriarchy narrative, you're not going to like the Bible. So if you're a believer and you're starting to buy into that narrative that comes from somewhere else, doesn't come from the Bible, um, you're going to get in trouble when you look in your Bible. You're going to see some of that now in Genesis chapter 3. What does God say to the woman? How will the fall affect the woman? What will the results of the fall be on women? Genesis 3.16, one of the great 3.16s of the Bible. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, do any ladies here want to utter an amen to that? Is there any pain? Yeah, this, this crazy thing happened. We were nuts. 
It was mainly you. You were nuts, but I went along with it. And, and there was this thing that was common in our time when we were bearing children that you know, to really do it right, to be real parents, you did it naturally. So all four of them, no painkiller, no spinal block, no nothing, no pain meds. We had them naturally. Now, we were not, we were trained. You don't use the word pain. There might be discomfort. Well, I remember her screaming like death all four times, and it sure sounded and looked like pain to me. How did it get that way? God says, uh, this is an, a direct effect of the choice Eve made as it passes down to all women down through time. There, there's a change now. Things change. Life's going to get a lot more difficult. And here's a place where the woman will most experience it. What is one of the biggest things, one of the biggest events in the lives of most women ever? It's having a baby. And for most women ever, two years later, another baby, and two years later, another baby, and two years later, and two years later, and two years later, if you live through them all, which in many cases you did not. So the Bible is being very gender specific, not at all gender neutral, when God says, here's how women are going to experience the fall. You're gonna experience the fall primarily in terms of your relationships. We'll see more about this. We're starting with your relationship with that baby. It's gonna be pain. And in fact, by extension, we might say, and raising the little rascals is gonna be a pain too. Right? It's not gonna be easy, man. Not getting any sleep. They're crying, they're pooping, they're doing all this awful stuff. I shouldn't have said that, pardon me. So he says, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. A lot of the focus of a woman has been of necessity. It's not somebody's oppression, it's not a patriarchy, it's the realities of life on a fallen planet for most people in most of time. And in pain you bring forth children. And now, here's another relationship that gets affected. And here's how the woman experiences the fall in a gender-specific way. Your desire shall be contrary. Contrary. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. So you two are supposed to be getting along, mutual consideration. You discuss things most of the time. You figure it out together. Everybody's feeling the love. You're all being gracious and thoughtful together. But now there's going to be some contrary. This new thing comes into marriage where sometimes the woman's going to get all contrary. And he has his issues too, and he shall rule over you. Now, some think that just means the God-ordained, beautiful male headship that we're going to find next sermon in the New Testament, where the male is a benevolent, beneficent, giving, serving head, but head nonetheless, and the woman is to be submissive and be his helper, as we see in Genesis chapter, chapter 1. Uh, that all still stands. That all still in the Bible. That's Next sermon, not next Sunday, Stan's preaching next Sunday, attendance is going to go. <laughs> but the following week, we'll come back to this. And where was I? Um, he says, that, so the, he shall rule over you. Some say it's just that normal rule. Others think, and I'm, I'm with these others, what that means is you're going to get contrary and he's going to get bossy. He's going to be like, yeah, well, I'm the man. I get to hold the remote. 
It's about all that's left to fight over anymore. Spend our lives getting entertained. He shall rule over you. Where's the woman going to feel the effects of the fall? It's very gender specific. You're going to feel it in your relationships. Women, psychologists today still tell us this. Eminent world-class psychologists tell us we know this. Women care more about relationships and men care more about things, about stuff. And so the woman's going to feel the fall in terms of relationships and the man's going to feel the fall in terms of stuff. But her relationships are your babies and your husbands, and it's going to be a pain now, and he shall rule over you. And that's bad. You don't want that rule thing. Headship, yes. But rule, no. I I just happened to read last week. I'm reading through a book, and it had a chapter on Caesar Milan. You know who he is? He's the dog whisperer. Interesting character. When he was 21, he left Mexico and made it up into the U.S. He paid 100 bucks to somebody that they call a coyote, and the coyote brought him across the border, and he made it. So then he's in Southern California. A couple years later, when he's 23, he met and married a beautiful American young woman whose name is Illusion. I would, if, I, if your name was Illusion, I would have to make so many jokes about that, like, I can't see you. She's talking to me. I can't see you. But he married this girl named Illusion. Illusion is looking back on their younger years of marriage, thinking of this word, he shall rule over you. Illusion is looking back, and she says, Caesar was a masochistic, egocentric man who thought the world revolved around him. His view was that marriage is where a man tells a woman what to do. That's marriage. That's where men get to tell women what to do. Never give her affection, never give compassion, never give understanding. Marriage to Caesar is about the woman keeping the man happy. And that's all it is. Gentlemen, that is not all it is. And ladies, you'll be glad to hear me say that that's not all he's supposed to be doing. That's not what he's supposed to be doing. That would be another sermon for another time. But I'm illustrating, but he shall rule. So the woman is going to primarily feel the fall. Most women and most of time, if you ask them, what were the biggest problems in your life? Well, a baby every two years, that was quite a challenge. And me and my man, we had a lot of spats. We had a lot of differences. It got kind of contrary and it got kind of hard. And that's where she's experienced a whole lot of the pain of the fall. Not all of it, but a whole lot. What does God say to the man? It's very gender differentiated. Genesis 3, 17 and 19, cursed Adam, Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, he gets his pain, she had her pain, her pain is kids, his pain is ground. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Here's how the fall most affects the man in his relationship to stuff. With her, it's her relationship to people, her beloved people. With him, it's a relationship to stuff, the stuff he needs to feed them with, the stuff he needs to provide them for, provide for them. It's the stuff, it's the ground, it's the dirt, it's thorns and thistles. I'm trying to get this project working. It won't work, man. There's thorns and thistles growing up in my office. And he's sweating. He's sweating. This is where man feels the painful effects of the fall. Primarily in his relationship to work, 
and provision and labor. That's where his pain is. That's where his sweat is. I'm not saying women shouldn't work, by the way. Honest, I'm not, let, me, let me just prove that to you. My mother worked. My wife has worked different kinds of jobs, usually part-time, since we've been married, only she recently retired. Congratulations. Um, we have women on staff at Cornerstone Church. I'm very happy they're on staff. Frankly, they do more than most of all y'all, the rest of y'all, because they're paid to be there. They can spend time on it. So they're out doing a whole lot of the men in kingdom labors and kingdom service, and we're paying them to, and they work for it. I'm not against women working. The Proverbs 31 woman, guys, if you find that one, wow, you can quit. She's into real estate, she's into marketing, she's buying and selling, she's got tapestries that, they're, that they have for their kids and all this stuff. What an amazing woman. She worked. Have you ever thought about, I think it's Acts chapter 16 or maybe chapter 17, there was this lady named Lydia. How she described, she was a what? What was her job? She's a seller of purple from Thyatira, but she's in Philippi when we meet her. What's she doing in Philippi? Selling purple. She's doing her business, working her business. So, th- so there were women working in the Bible. I'm not, I almost said nobody's opposed to. I, I'm not opposed to women working. But the demands of baby two years, baby two years, baby two years, baby brain two years, baby brain two baby two for most women and most of time meant they're not going to be able to be in the workplace much. Only the woman could breastfeed. Who's going to... How's the man going to be near the baby all day? And bre- he can't do that. So it's been the harsh realities of time. And what I'm trying to do is say, look, some of you, some of y'all, don't look at Genesis 3 and say, yep, written by European males, oppressive, patriarchy, trying to keep women down. That, that's, you could put that lens on if you want and look at everything through the oppression narrative lens. I don't recommend you do it. I think it's false. But there's a better way to look at this. This is what God told him it's really going to be like now that you fell. And for most people, most of the time, it was. Let's talk, before we go on, let's talk a little bit more about what life was like for most women. So you got married when you're 16 or 18. You had your first baby, then two years baby, two years baby. As I already said, two years baby. Um, it's a good chance you wouldn't make it through all those babies. You'd die. He'd married another one because he needs one to help take care of all these still living kids. You will have lost many babies. So you might have had a two-year, oh, that baby was not, didn't make it. And then two years, and that one did. And then two years, and that one didn't. Two, and, and life was like that. Plus, you didn't have a washing machine. Just imagine if your washing machine goes away, there's no more washing machines. What does that do to your life tomorrow? A washing machine is an amazing time-saving invention, as is a refrigerator, as is indoor plumbing, as is electricity, as are all kinds of things, as are modern, modern automobiles that you ladies can get in and go zoom, zoom. It's just an incredibly different world for you ladies today compared to what it was for most ladies in all of time. Um, the reason they had baby, 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 because birth control, decent, available, reliable birth control, is a very modern invention. It's like 1960s, really. So 
Please don't sit here and, and look back and say, oh, it was so hard for women. That was the oppression of men. Oh, it was so hard for women. That was the patriarchy. Oh, it was so hard for women. Those men are awful. Well, men probably were awful and they probably were oppressive to some degree or other because they're fallen. But it was just what people had to do to stay alive. So men and women are different in the results of the fall. Now I want to add one word to that and give you the next leg of our journey. And men and women are different in the global results of their fall. Now, I really like this part of the sermon, but I know we're getting near the end. So wake up, take a deep breath. I'd like you to hear this. Men and women are different in the global results of the sermon. What do I mean? Well, there are individual results. Adam, you'll experience this. Eve, you'll experience this. And your son, he'll experience it individually. And your daughter, she'll experience it. There are individual results. But then there are some global, or maybe I should have said, felt by the entire human race results. What do I mean? So here's what I mean. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Who ate first? Eve. Eve was the first one to eat. The, the serpent deceived her. She took it. That looked good. Mm, yummy. That is good. Here, Adam, try some. When Eve ate the apple, did she fall? Yeah, I guess she did. But the race didn't. She did not have that relationship to the human race. But when Adam took the apple, what happened? The whole race plunged into sin. Adam had a relationship to the race that was global that Eve did not have. This is very gender differentiated at the most fundamental level of what's going on on the planet with humans. All of this mess came from Adam. Paul develops this in Romans 5. Look with me, please. I'll show you two verses. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, wait a minute, I thought it came through her. She ate first. No, no, no. She ate first, but sin came through him. As sin came to the world, the race through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. When Adam fell, he was our representative head. He was our federal head. God had made it so. God said, here's a massive difference between what I'm doing with men and women. The man is going to be the federal head of the race. The man is going to be the representative head of the race. And they are all seen as being in him. And if he falls, they fall. And if he stands, they stand. To put it another way, God could have done this. He did not in his infinite wisdom. He, he could have made every one of us our own Adam, and he could create you in your mother's womb, and you'd be born, and then he'd wait to see when you fall. Well, that's about probably in the womb. That's about three seconds after you're born, probably, when you become murderous in your anger and your screaming. Good thing you're helpless. You'd kill somebody. But um, where was I? So, so Adam took the fruit and, and the race fell. Death spread to all because all sinned. When Adam sinned, we were in him and we sinned. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. Uh, we all sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So, so what's the point that I'm making here? Adam and Eve had a very, very different relationship to the race. 
And you might think, well, this is so, so male of God, so gender insensitive. He put the whole race in the man. But he did. It's in your Bible. When the man fell, we all fell. When he fell, she fell. So there are some massive differences. There's same, 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 equal, 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 equal. But then there's some differences. Difference in the reason they fall, difference in the results of their fall, and differences in the global results of their fall. And we haven't gotten out of Genesis 3. There's a lot more in the Bible. I asked our fellow elders this week, how many more weeks can I spend on this? And we all landed on two. (sighs) Not their fault. I suggested two. This is one, and there's one more. And they agreed but I wish I had like 12. Or can I, are you doing anything today? Can we just go real long today? Adam and Eve had different relationships to all of humanity. Are there any other differences? Yes, next time, Lord willing. Let me give a sneak peek. I'll show it on the screen. Here's what we're covering next time, Lord willing. We're gonna see that Man and woman are different in some parts of their roles. Now, in some parts of our roles, we overlap. Sometimes Debbie takes out the garbage. Most of the time, I take out the garbage. There's some overlap in that role, okay? So most of the time, there's, there's some overlap, but where there are differences in our roles as intended and ordained by God. That's going to lead us to talk about egalitarianism. How many syllables? Egalitarianism. Eight syllables. That's a good word. And complementarianism. Two views, two grids through which you might look at male and female in the world and male and female in the Bible. And just to let you know, I'm very much on the complementarianism side. And so is the leadership and some of the founding documents of Cornerstone Church. And then we're going to look at Next slide, please. Man and woman on the mission, men and women in the home, different roles. A lot of overlap, but different roles. And men and women in the church, a lot of overlap, but some very different roles. And then we'll be done. Sound all right? You're going to come back in two weeks? Hear one more of these? Bow with me and pray, would you please? Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together in this this place for worship, this place for gathering, this place for lifting up the name of Jesus. Father, this message wasn't really about the gospel and being saved, but maybe there are people in this room who need the gospel and need to be saved, and somehow would you draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ now? Would you give us all of us, would you give all of us hearts to be like those Bereans those noble Bereans of old, I believe it's Acts chapter 17, who searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things, the things Paul was saying, to see whether these things were so. They were noble-minded. They searched the scriptures. Father, help us as a people, help us as a church to base what we believe and how we live on your word, on the scriptures. Help us to take every thought obedient captive to obedience to Christ. Help us to renew our minds by your word. Thank you for ordaining communion as we come to the table of communion now. Lead us all closer to yourself, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.